4: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
4: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store, but did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right, Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Go to shopify.com slash bof to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bof.
0: As quality is such an important driver of luxury and desirability, if you're not sustainable, you don't actually operate with quality products.
1: How is it that you define what a responsible business means now?
0: collaborating for the sake of solving big problems, I think that's critical. Change happens so much quicker in today's world that if you're not part of the change, I think you will be left behind.
1: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. All this week on BOF, we've been talking about how to build a responsible fashion business. As part of our special edition, can fashion clean up its act? On this episode, I sit down with Jochen Zeitz, the former CEO of Puma, who has been one of the fashion industry's leading advocates for a more sustainable business model. During his time at Puma, which was acquired by caring, Zeitz developed the EPNL, the Environmental Profit and Loss Statement, one of the first measures of how we can bring the principle of stakeholder capitalism considering people, planet, and profit as part of the business model going forward. Here's Jochen Zeitz on the power of fashion to drive sustainable change. Well, good afternoon, Jochen. How are you today? I'm very good. Hi, Imran, from America. You're in New Mexico, is that right?
0: I am, yes. I'm uh, sheltering at home because our offices are still closed until later this month.
1: Okay, and t- tell us a little bit about where you're at in New Mexico. I, you have a home there, I know, but you know, you, you spend your time in quite a few different places. So why did you choose New Mexico as a place to sit? This quarantine out
0: because uh, I've uh, just been appointed to, to the position of CEO and president of Harley Davidson, and the company in Milwaukee, and uh, and I'm only just one time zone away from Milwaukee, so um, I'm heading U.S. publicly listed company now, and uh, and hence why I'm uh, in the U.S. together with my family.
1: Got it. Well, that I guess pra- for practical reasons that makes perfect sense. Though I hear that. New Mexico is also very beautiful, and uh, I can imagine that doesn't hurt.
0: It certainly doesn't. And uh, there's still lots of opportunity to ride a motorbike as well.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Jochen, before we get to the topic at hand, I think you know that um, you know this week on the Business of Fashion, we've really been focusing all of our content uh, and discussions around building a responsible business. So it strikes me as very interesting that you've taken on this new role as the president and CEO of Harley Davidson, because apart from the fashion industry and maybe the energy industry, the transport industry is one of the, you know, most damaging industries in the world when it comes to our planet. And so I know you have this incredibly long and sustained career in focusing your professional time and energy on building more responsible, sustainable businesses. So you, can you tell us a little bit about you know, why this opportunity at Harley-Davidson was so appealing to you?
0: Well, first of all, because I believe that uh, sector leaders and iconic brands have a tremendous opportunity to contribute to a change in consumer behavior uh, as a whole. And uh, I've done that in my past life at Puma uh, as a board member of Caring and also helping them to set up their sustainability initiatives. Uh, at the time being called PPR Home, now Caring. Um, and uh, I just believe that sector leaders and iconic brands have that opportunity and, and, and we should uh, use it as a as a way not just to be more responsible, but by actually looking at it as an opportunity for businesses in the future.
1: So in the market, you're seen as a kind of turnaround specialist. You know, you've gone in from a very young age at Puma. I think you were the youngest ceo in germany of a publicly traded company at that time and you took puma and really helped to not just turn it around from a business standpoint but also really inject some of these principles um, that we've been focusing on this week at bof into that business so i guess you know in the first instance as someone who's operated in this space for a very long time i mean how is it that you define what a responsible business means now what a sustainable, socially responsible business means. How do you articulate that to people in your teams or elsewhere when you're trying to kind of uh, gain further buy-in that this is the way you know more businesses need to be thinking?
0: Yeah, let me let me start with the first part of your statement rather than question uh, and calling me a turnaround specialist. I would look at myself as a as a change agent more than a turnaround specialist. And, uh, the faster the world changes, the more you need to be a change agent and, uh, and instill change in what you do in your business. And I guess also in your private lives, if you look at how the world has changed, especially in the last few months. So I don't look at myself as a turnaround specialist, but somebody that challenges the status quo. And to come back to your question is when you, when you look at the state of our planet today and we recognize that we are taking more resources away from our planet. And are leaving irreparable damage uh, that means we have to change and and hence we cannot just look at shareholder value or growing a business any longer but we have to look at it responsibly but at the same time also as an opportunity how we can actually uh, do better as a business but doing so by keeping our stakeholders rather than just our shareholders in mind and nature and our planet is a key stakeholder because without our planet, we won't be able to function in the wrong run.
1: So that's clear. And then the coronavirus crisis hit in the last few months and businesses um, throughout various sectors have been hit hard, including Harley Davidson and, you know, the industry that we work in, the fashion industry. I mean, how how do you see this kind of r- responsible business thinking in light of the crisis that we're now all experiencing, both from a kind of public health and an economic standpoint?
0: I'd say even going into the crisis, you started to see change in a lot of companies, more and more companies than maybe compared to five years ago, where it was a handful of select leaders and companies that were you know, promoting a more responsible way of doing business. Um, and I think this is only going to accelerate, I think, um, investors are asking the question, and that was one of the missing links in the past. That quite often investors were not really looking at ESG or sustainability as a as a, an important um, parameter based on which one should just uh, ju- judge one's investment. That has been happening, and I actually see this accelerating post crisis. Now you can make the business case for our planet, uh, and you can say. What we're experiencing now with the virus is just a fast way of experiencing climate change that will happen over decades, but the end result is a creeping change to our planet, which will have negative impacts on how we live and operate and work, hence something we need to get our hands around. And this virus is, 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 is a testament for a needed fast change in order to deal with a much bigger crisis that uh, will be affecting all of our lives around the world in 20, 30 years to come.
1: So we've been talking this week, as I mentioned, about you know the idea that the fashion industry needs to clean up its act. And you have the very unusual position now of someone who's operated right at the very heart of the fashion industry, as you mentioned, both at Puma and Caring. And I know you stepped out of the industry some time ago, but I'm sure, as an observer, and you know, someone who was kind of closely embedded in this industry previously, you've been watching. And I, I'm curious uh, to understand, Jochen, like, how do you see the fashion industry now in light of this need for the industry to clean up its act? And you know, some of these things that you were talking about for years, um, these principles around sustainability and, you know, creating a business that didn't simply extract resources from the planet and exploit people, businesses that really found a way of operating while respecting these different stakeholders. I mean, as a, as a, as a former insider, now an outsider, you know, what, what are your thoughts now on the fashion industry and this journey of, of, of kind of shaking things up? Well,
0: first of all, I look at every crisis as an opportunity. Uh, it's an opportunity you know, to really look at your own self, it's an opportunity to look at your business and how you operate, and say, what can we really essentially change to adjust ourselves to the new normal? And coming out of this crisis, I would say it's it's a given that there will be a new normal, uh, which is uh, affecting our lives, which is affect the way, affecting the way we we buy, the way we travel, uh, and uh, and our consciousness about. Critical issues of our world uh, rising uh, dramatically. And I think that's if, if, if businesses don't ask themselves that question, you know, you will be part of history uh, rather than the future. In terms of the fashion industry, I always believe that, you know, you need to embed sustainability into the DNA of your business and of your brand. Uh, you don't want to be the one shouting, we are sustainable or we are less unsustainable than others. To me, it's a definition of quality and a new way of looking at what is quality in the future versus what was quality in the past when our resources were unlimited. And I would just simply say, as quality is such an important driver of luxury uh, and desirability, if you're not sustainable, you don't actually operate with quality products. That That's the new definition for me and that embeds sustainability in every decision you make as a business as a business leader as a designer as a manufacturer and uh, and we need to look at this very seriously and, and and not just uh you know set up sustainability departments that only scratch the surface but actually embed the word sustainability into our day-to-day operation uh, i think that's critical and that's what luxury needs to do there's still a lot of greenwashing out there and a lot of lip service with a, you know, a, a little capsule collection here and there that's uh, more sustainable or touted as sustainable in terms of material use, but really embedding it into the core of all of your products. That's what needs to happen.
1: So, you know, just to push you a little harder on this one, if you were going to give the fashion industry a grade, you know, how are we doing? You know, out of a hundred or if whatever marking system you know, as an industry, how seriously and urgently do you think this issue is being taken? Or is it just still a few companies that are kind of pioneering in this space and everyone's kind of lagging still?
0: Well, first of all, if you look at uh, the the product itself, it is of much higher quality. It is also of much higher price. But uh, it's a product that you don't change every season. It's a product that you can still wear over time that retains its value. And and and, and it, it is socially much better manufactured uh, in comparison to the fast-moving, low-priced uh, 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 textile and, and accessories products that, that you see coming out of uh, particularly the Asian market. So in, in essence, you have a, a core ingredient that speaks for luxury. Uh, because uh, it is it is manufacturing in a more responsible way it is socially more 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 just than uh, you know a lot of the fast moving uh, retailers and, and manufacturers that don't really care about the standards in factories and the environmental and social standards and uh, and that's a starting point but you know moving that into the core of the business there's still a long way to go and and, and in 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 essence it also means Thinking about collaboration. I, I know that in France, there's an initiative uh, on, on, on its way with caring in the lead where you bring leaders in the luxury space together because some of the solutions can only be found together. And I do believe it is essential that sectors start working together for joint scaling of sustainable solutions and not just trying to think about, um, you know, how to figure it out themselves, how to then embed that into your brand that's your usb as a brand but collaborating for the sake of solving big problems i think that's critical and that starts with benchmarking and 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 baselining in terms of how you measure for sustainability and then working together in order to essentially decide how you can manufacture uh, in a more sustainable way how what materials can you use in a more sustainable way what needs to happen industry-wide and i do believe that 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 is essential just like it is essential in an automotive industry where you might need to ask, how can we electrify uh, our way, mode of uh, transportation faster in the future, bearing in mind that uh, the urban centers of this world will move towards that goal anyway, much faster post this crisis.
1: So that kind of addresses the luxury side of things. And I want to get to measurement in a minute. but. You know, one of the industries that actually dominates the fashion sector is fast fashion. And so there are these like big companies like H&M and Inditex and Mango and others. But then there's also, you know, sports companies like Nike and and Adidas and Puma. and, And their whole proposition isn't on the basis necessarily of manufacturing luxurious items in smaller quantities to last for a very, very long time. They're creating different kinds of products at a completely different level of the market. And I just wonder what you make of, you know, both of those groups, the fast fashion groups, and then the kind of uh, athletic wear companies as it pertains to this wider sustainability conversation.
0: Well, I'd say in principle we should move away from thinking consumption is necessarily a bad thing. We will not, stop people from consuming and as we know now with an economy that is globally uh you know tanking uh you know how important it is for our sustainability as a species as well to have a strong economic growth but how we grow and how we grow sustainably that that is the big question we still need to solve so i wouldn't just blame consumption per se; it's it's the consumption of the wrong thing or not us not being able to figure out a way how we can consume more sustainably. I think if I may just refer to the food sector and the dramatic change that we're seeing happening in the food sector, it gives you an indication of how quick, how quickly um, uh, a sector can actually, that is essential and fundamental to our future, uh, change itself um, because consumer patterns are actually, and behaviors are actually changing. And I would say we, we can take clues from uh, the transformation of of how we consume, what we consume, uh, and it's not that we eat less, but if we eat more of the right thing uh, so that it's actually good for our planet, what we consume, rather than bad for our planet, that gives a a bit of an indication of what other industries and sectors should do. So uh, to come back to fast fashion, sporting goods, luxury, I think essentially you need to define... Products that you that you develop, how you manufacture, what materials you're manufacturing, and actually have a clear goal in reducing your environmental impact. Growing while reducing has to be the the, the, the parameter of the future. You know we can grow, but we have to reduce our footprints over proportionately to impact that we're having through our growth. Only then will we go and get back within the planetary boundaries, which essentially is the framework the planet gives us within which we can uh, operate without and must operate without changing the overall uh, behavior of the planet towards our lives
1: that makes complete sense and i completely buy into the kind of theory behind that that economic growth is still really important not least because of the number of people who depend on these this growth for their own livelihoods. Um, But I wonder if you can just tell us more about how companies manage to grow output and continue to kind of expand their activities while also reducing their footprint. I mean, do you have examples you can cite of like how to do that?
0: Well, if you take the the digitization of this world, and if you look at the crisis right now, who are the winners in in in, in the current crisis? It's the IT companies, it's the digital companies, it's e-commerce. So you know, brick and mortar has been suffering, uh, as we know, for quite some time, and uh, and this crisis is accelerating uh, uh, the the consolidation that we see with brick and mortar. Uh, all over the world. And I I think that is is an indication of what needs to happen. Not everything needs to happen physically. Not every business trip and travel uh, that you're conducted actually needed to happen. I would even say that the way we operate right now in many ways is more productive than uh, the way where we all commuted to our offices and traveled around the globe to do our business. It has forced us to act differently. And and, in that way, if you look at how our rivers are cleaning themselves up and our air pollution is actually getting to a level that we haven't seen in a long time, it goes that business can still operate um, and we should learn from this crisis and adjust our way of operation. So it's not just the product, it's the way we make these products, it's the way we act, it's the way we manage, it's the way we work, it's the way we live that ultimately can contribute to the significant change. And that doesn't mean not enjoying, uh, you know, uh, uh, consumption any longer, but enjoying the consumption that is a better consumption. I mean, look, I give you a simple example when restaurants are closed and I i, I, I crave for the day the restaurants are open and then and it is drive-through uh, life right now unless you cook at home. Um, but the supermarket experience is not always a fun one either and, and, and you have an ability to actually consume a meat-free a burger uh, in your drive through that doesn't taste any different to a, a, a meat burger. And then you hear that millions of hogs need to be slaughtered because we don't have a consumer. I mean, you just have to ask yourself, is this really the way we should be consuming or shouldn't we transform to uh, in a more organic uh, way of doing without having to kill all these animals? That to me is still enjoying your burger, but enjoying it a a burger that doesn't have an environmental impact and doesn't have to kill animals. That's one example of where transformation can happen tomorrow, uh, and organic farming is is just another one versus monocultures that are not really helping our health.
4: Planning
1: for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen
2: With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Mm. But, but you worked in the fashion industry, uh, Jochen, and you, know, you led Puma. So you understand that at its core, fashion is, fashion is a physical product that often is sold in a physical retail environment. And even for those products that aren't sold in stores, they're sold through big sprawling warehouses where things are shipped all over the world. And like there's returns and all of that stuff associated with e commerce. So I just wonder, um, you know, in your time at Puma, from your time at Puma, rather, do you have examples of the kinds of things when you were first starting on this sustainability journey there? What are the kinds of things that you did that helped to just Basically, reduce the footprint in terms of the way you worked.
0: Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, the shopping experience shouldn't be, should only be digital by all means, but I'm saying the consolidation in space that is being allocated to a brick and mortar experience, we will have to think differently because there's just too much space out there in the first place. And only the ones that are willing to adapt and are able to create an experience that truly delivers. To your consumers' needs will survive, and that's that's all I'm saying. Uh, and you know, we've seen in the past everyone has been expanding footprint, and 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 there were companies out there that you know stuck around and continued to show good numbers by growing, but essentially the business uh, platform wasn't a solid one. And I think that's where you see that consolidation happening. And those who are really truly innovators, obviously, will have a future. I think, you know, an example is the question of, I mean, we talked about meat, we talked about leather, you know, can we not come up with a material that uh, that sustainably uh, replaces an animal skin that can ultimately deliver the same qualities, look and feel and touch uh, than leather can. And that's an, that's one example where at the time I said, well, you know, who's out there who can actually deliver that? can we apply import duties that benefit um more sustainable materials versus less sustainable materials can we actually direct business towards using more sustainable deliveries and incentivize them and i'm not saying it's about punishing those who don't it's about incentivizing those who are actually willing to move and 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 there are a lot of incentive mechanisms in place uh, that one could create to actually move to a more sustainable way of uh, manufacturing using materials and consumption uh, that could make this acceleration happen. However, that will require we come back to what you mentioned earlier, the environmental profit and loss or defining metrics and science-based targets that will allow us to actually standardize our approach in measurement. And I often use the example of calories. You know, we've become obsessed with the amount of calories we consume every day if we were able to develop environmental Calories And nobody would ask the question of standardization because it is standardized and you know that product X versus Y uh, consumes more calories, environmental calories than another. The consumer will make that transition for all of us very, very quickly, but that standard just does not exist yet.
1: Mm. I I think the idea of a, a standard is so appealing because it really puts everyone on the same playing field, not just the consumer who understands the impact of certain products that they might buy, but also the business owner, CEO and designer who's creating and putting those products out into the market. But what 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 are the blockers that are getting in the way for creating that kind of standard?
0: Uh, several. First, there are many different initiatives that try and standardize. Uh, it's not a cohesive initiative and, uh, and everyone is not really working together to do that. It ultimately needs regulation uh, to to do that. It needs governments to say yes, we want a standard that we can all adhere to. And as we are operating in a global world, to try and accomplish that on a global level is is not an easy one. So you'd have to kind of start in a country or in a region or uh, a continent and say, as a government, we want to standardize and implement that. Uh, and I think that would be a great starting point. But we are still away from that. There are initiatives happening. That try to bring all of these organizations that are looking into measurement and standardization together to say let's create one standard, and not five or six or seven different standards. Just like we don't need more eco labels in our supermarkets or in our in our fashion stores that one touts I'm more sustainable than the other. We need something comparable that consumer can trust and believe in, uh, and then that's when we will see uh, changes very quickly.
1: I'm I'm curious what role you see for government in helping to come up with these standards because as you point out it's not like there's any you know international organization that can implement a globally agreed set of standards across you know over 190 different countries around the world however you know I was quite interested to see how the European Union's work on the GDPR and data initiative ended up having to be adopted by companies on a global basis, just because the rigor was there. Do you think something like that could work for fashion in terms of trying to get some of these standards in place across the world, even if they're not the official standard in a specific geography?
0: I think so. And I actually do believe that Europe can play a significant role in setting those standards. In fact, Europe is already setting standards for many other countries around the world. And As a big importer and big exporter, it's a powerful enough region to actually make that happen. So I would say very much so. Look, I do believe in a free market, but a free market still needs to have some rules and the framework needs to be set by governments. uh, And quite often businesses sort of hide behind um, uh, regulation and governments and don't really endorse that progressive change that is required. I do believe that we should support governments in that quest to establish a framework that will help us to compete and it will help the better and more sustainable companies that can really, truly incorporate uh, sustainability into the thinking of uh, and and the desirability of their products with the consumer, uh, that those are the ones that uh, should drive that effort.
1: Yeah, I mean, and interestingly, you know, I've been reading about some experts' views on how um, we could use this opportunity. in this current crisis, to kind of accelerate some of this standardization, and you know, people are talking about how a green new deal might be required in order to um, not just revive the the economy in the same way that you know Roosevelt's New Deal enabled um, infrastructure and and other critical things to be established after the World War. Um, in in the current situation. There are also some green strings that could be attached to some of the bailout money and and, and investment that the government is doing to kind of back companies right now. And so there, there seems to be a good moment of leverage.
0: I would certainly think so. And uh, you don't have to just think countries if you, if you realize that the biggest impact this crisis is having mostly on the urban centers around the world, the cities. You do see an effort now coming out of this where electrification of and urban mobility will become a much more prominent feature in the design of the future cities. So I do believe that this is an opportunity to set the framework. And and absolutely, I do do think just like um, bailout money is tied to um, some regulations in terms of what you can and cannot do uh, in the future, it should also be having an element of um, uh, uh, you know, sustainability attached to it.
1: Well, one framework um, that I did want to talk about today, you know, moving on from kind of the wider macro s- set of things that we need to measure is the the, the EPNL, which was a, a tool that you created back in the day uh, at Puma, and then helped to implement across the caring group. And for for people out there who are listening who want to understand, you know, how this tool works. And and what they would need to do in their own businesses to start incorporating this kind of thinking into the way they measure success. You know, how how do you advise a CEO or entrepreneur to start injecting that kind of EPNL uh, thinking into into their operations?
0: Well, it's you know it, it's actually quite simple. You look at your environmental impact in. And what is actually driving environmental impact? Obviously, it's emissions, it's air pollution, it's land use, it's waste, it's water use. And, and those need to be measured. Uh, some of them are standard around the world. Emissions are the same. You emit a ton of carbon, it's the same effect uh, in China as it would be in Europe. If you use a liter of water, it has a different effect of, depending on where you extract it. Is it an arid area or is, is it an area where water isn't really... Uh, uh, or uh, scarce so that's the measurement and then being able to compare those impacts with each other is critical and that's what the epnl does it basically puts a monetary value but it could be a, a synthetic value it could be a calorie or whatever you want it to, to be called at the end to all of those uh, impacts and then connects them so if a calorie of water use versus a calorie of a carbon emission is then added up. You have one overall impact rather than talk about cubic meters, liters uh, or whatnot. You know, it actually creates a unity through by applying one metric and one, one currency that ultimately allows you to add all of those values that you can then measure yourself against. And that's the beautiful thing because you might say as a water, uh, 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 a company that emit, uses a lot of water, I just focus on water, but you could actually get do worse to the environment by emitting more carbon. So you actually have to have a holistic approach and measure all of your key environmental impacts in order to get a proper measurement that you can then set targets against. And that's what I've done in my past life. That's what I'm done doing with Harley-Davidson as well, just so we have a baseline of what is our environmental impact. And then you start creating solutions because if you just have a qualitative discussion, it will never lead to results. You will have to embed it into all of your processes and operations of your business in order to actually uh, come up with uh, with tangible solutions.
1: So that covers kind of the planet side and kind of measuring impact on the planet side. How do you go about as a business measuring social impact? Because this is part of the the part of responsible business that's often often overlooked, frankly, and Actually, currently in our in the situation we're in right now, when we see what's happening along some of the supply chains, uh, international fashion supply chains, and some of the workers who have you know constantly toiled away in in sometimes you know conditions that not would not be seen as acceptable by by the customers who buy those products. You know, where does the where does the social part fit into the equation on measuring impact?
0: I think it has to always go hand in hand with uh, environmental impacts. In fact, environmental impacts have an effect on social impacts too. Uh, you Look at the effects of climate change. And you talk about a few billion climate refugees uh, in the future. I mean, that's an impact on on society and and the human species, which is going to be tremendous. So it has to go always hand in hand. And we have to look at that's why I'm talking about not sustainability, but stakeholder value. Stakeholders are our employees; it's the people that work in our factories, uh, and the stakeholders are our environment, the stakeholders are our shareholders, the stakeholder our customers, our our dealer network, and so on. So I, we have to look at all of this and have to ultimately create weak wins for everybody, for our planet, for our people. And 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 I'd say the one thing I've certainly seen in this crisis is you know people very much uh, care. Uh, for the health and safety of their employees and are doing everything they can. Uh, and and I think ultimately this will lead to maybe a safer and more healthy way of operating and manufacturing in the future as well.
1: I mean, I hope so. But if you talk to some of the garment workers in Bangladesh or India, whose factories have been closed because orders have been canceled because companies won't pay. I mean, the the kind of conditions that those people are currently having to navigate are frankly, like unacceptable, right?
0: Well, certainly, every company needs to decide in terms of their responsibility and what they can do to alleviate the pain that is caused by this economic crisis. And uh, like in every country, uh, in every crisis, you know, you see those who are doing well, uh, and those who are not doing anything uh, rise to the surface. And and, and I think we, we just need to Make sure that, uh, we don't accept, uh, you know, that those workers are, are treated, uh, unfairly, uh, in the future. And, uh, and, and we all have, you know, our, our task at hand and how we can improve, you know, certainly coming out of this crisis and how we can create an, an environment that is socially much more, exp- not just responsible, but better. And that is a whole discussion about wages, living wages, uh, sustainable wages as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it kind of brings me to my final question, Jochen, which was about leadership. And you know, throughout your career, you've been recognized as an exceptional leader. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you've seen your share of crises. I mean, what advice do you have for leaders right now, as 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 we all try to navigate this situation? You know, you said that you know you're heartened by the fact that people have put their teams and their people first in this crisis, but w- what else are you expecting from leaders right now? Where where should we be pushing that leaders in this industry and beyond in terms of the way they handle and manage um, the way through the rest of this situation, which seems unlikely to be ending anytime soon? Well, first
0: of all, I'd say, you know, think ahead and and, and define what you think you've business of the future should look like with a long-term perspective and then work towards that goal with uh, with all the rigor you can have and invest into that future. Um, but kind of define your end goal in mind and then define your actions around it. Uh, and that will in many cases mean a complete rewire of how you've approached business in the past. Also recognize that not every change, you know, I'm not a very patient person, but I have learned over time that, you know, substantial change doesn't always happen overnight. It might happen very quickly once you get there, but in order to get to that tipping point, you have to work very hard. Uh, Change happens so much quicker in today's day and world that, uh, in today's world that, you know, if you're not part of the change, I think you will be left behind. And I can only urge everybody to, To look at your own business and see how you can be part of the transformation rather than the transformation taking care of yourself
1: all right well that's very good advice uh i look forward to following your new adventure at harley-davidson and um you know we had hoped that you could speak at voices later this year let's see what happens with the ability to hold events but i'm really grateful for your time today Jochen, and uh congratulations on the new job
0: Thanks, Imran. And if, if we can't get together, well, let's try a virtual conference. I'd be happy to join. and participate.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll have to figure it out. All right. Thank you so much. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. That's the latest episode of the BOF podcast, all part of our two-week special edition focused on building a responsible fashion business. You can check it out at businessoffashion.com slash professional. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.
3: I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.